Today on Cinematics, an exploration of what it means to be human. This is the Blade Runner series. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of game. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. Hello, welcome back to Cinematics, and today we are talking about the Blade Runner series, specifically the two films that have been made, um, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, and uh, an exploration of what they are and how they work. So why don't we jump right into this? I'm Ryan. I'm fucking Paulie. Let's do it. So, Blade Runner... Blade Runner. What do you think of it? I think it's awesome. Um, it's, I don't know, like I think even even back in like 1982, people had this idea that it was going to be like, like an action movie, like a high octane, like fast paced action movie. And I think that's probably one of the reasons it didn't do as well in the box office when it first came out is just because people had that idea going into it when it's a very... I guess philosophical movie. Poetic, I think, poetic. was the word we used. Yeah, yeah. It's a very poetic kind of movie, um, which I, I found really interesting. I also found one of the things I was looking up while we were while we were in between watching the two movies um, is that it was talking about how it's very. It was catered as an action film, but when you watch it, really, it's kind of a film noir in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, big time. You know the yeah. the lighting throughout the whole movie is completely reminiscent of the low key, high contrast, really dark lighting. It's essentially a detective trying to find, um, trying to find his guy, trying to find his guy. And then yeah. there's even a femme fatale character in there as well to like, you know, yeah. classic, really solidify that cl classic gumshoe fucking detective tale. It's so true. Who do you think the femme fatale was? I'm curious because I didn't specify who I thought it was. Um, uh, what was her name? That that circus chick. Yo, the circus chick. Interesting. Or, or it's Rachel. See now, now there's an argument to be had both ways here because te technically the femme fatale is supposed to be this sort of like sexy distraction, mm -hmm. and in a sense, Rachel is is far too far too innocent. To be the sexy distraction, or in, is she? Or well, that's that's a good question. <laughs> whereas, whereas, Pris, Pris, yeah, that Pris, was her name, yeah. Um, we're talking the first one right now. Yeah. Uh, where Pris would have been more more of the like on the edge, and and the femme fatale is supposed to she's be like, the enemy, she's, but she's like Roy's Harley Quinn, pretty much. Well, that's a good way to put it. She's definitely Roy's. Yeah. I mean, their relationship isn't quite so fucked up. No, but at the at the end of the day, that's kind of what she is. Hey, yeah, yeah. Um, so let why don't we talk about because we we were talking about um, 
the movies essentially are a, a big statement about what it means to be human. Based on a book written by Philip K. Dick in 1962, I believe it was. Three seconds. Let me let me clear. 1968. And originally in the book, it's set in 1992, uh, and then it's later pushed forward in in other revisions. Um, but the book is much different, much much different. Like Deckard is still the main character. He's still trying to hunt down six um, replicants. Replicants. But in this one, he gets all of them. There isn't like two killed by some energy field, like thrown off kind of thing. There's six of them, and He's not driven by some like, ooh, I was a cop and now I'm not and I'm this gritty detective. <laughs> He's like this really poor fucker who just wants a sheep that's real, not an electric sheep that lives in his apartment because he has this fake replicant sheep. Right. Um, and he wants a real one, so he wants money to do it. So he takes this this Blade Runner job to get money to buy a sheep. It's quite a different character motiv motivation. Right. And he has a partner that he gets and he's like he gets caught up in this like fake um replicant police force at one point for a little bit and almost gets arrested and all this there's there's a ton of different stuff that goes on and the storyline is different and it's a lot less dark so that's something oh, i wanted to talk about okay with you especially because we were talking about production design kind of off camera while we were going through and something that i know we like to do on this podcast is we really want to talk about how the filmmakers achieve what they're trying to achieve technically. Mm. And I think we really wanted to focus on that in this episode, right? Yeah. So from a production design standpoint, the and and a lighting standpoint we can talk about later too. Oh, but yeah. I want to hear your I thoughts. I think lighting first. it ties in directly with uh, production design anyways, because if you don't light it properly, it's gonna look fake or it's gonna look like it's on a sound stage or Oh whatever. totally. So I think that ties in very totally. Very but I think closely. we should start at the base level because production design, especially for this this film, yeah, is so important. It's huge, yeah. Um, and and it's much darker than the original. The original was fairly light. There's lots of happy things. There's and you're talking about the book, right? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, okay. The, the the original being the book. Okay. Um, I got you. Is is I a bit lighter book, so. lighter of a story. It feels to me when I read it, it felt more um, hopeful, maybe. More, not even necessarily hopeful. It didn't have a, a positive outlook on things, but it just didn't feel like a film noir. You know, like it didn't feel oh, okay. like everything you. was dark and, and dingy and run down. It felt like it, there was a balance of things. Right, right. But this movie doesn't balance at all. So why don't you start off with some production design notes with your infinite wisdom? Infinite, possibly. Wisdom, probably. But anyways. Flawless. <laughs> Flawless. Um... I don't know, like when you when you see Blade Runner, you see, and we were also talking about the whole cyberpunk aspect on how it might have kind of jump started the whole cyberpunk aspect. I mean, I mean, yeah, in in a way it could have, because like I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly where that started. To. That era between the beginning of Star Wars in 1976 and the release of the book Neuromancer in 1984 was kind of the spawn of, of cyber cyberpunk and, I think, and I think those kind of Blade stories. Runner's a little bit in the middle of that because right in the Neuro, middle, yeah. Yeah, Neuromancer came out after Blade Runner. Two years after yeah. the movie. Yeah. So um but with Blade Runner, like and we were we were even talking like it's always dark, it's always raining. Um and I, I like that aspect of it, but I feel also like it doesn't have to be 
raining and dark all the time, which I think is like something the sequel did really well. Okay. With we can and get it to that. And it wasn't like um it wasn't like a happy sun. It was like a really kind of dreadful, kind of like really intense sun. Like it was just beating down on you all the time. Even even with the atmosphere. And that's something else that we'll have to talk about yeah, too, the atmosphere. But in, but in terms of like the production design, like everything um, was very mechanical, like very, mm-hmm. very little digital kind of things. Um, analog. Analog. Very yeah. analog. Yeah, analog. Um, the other thing was like, the thing that I actually thought is like thought was cool, like because I actually didn't think of it till now for some reason. But at the end of the first Blade Runner movie, you see the sun for the first time, so you don't even know when it's day. The or end night of the there. first one. Yeah, remember when uh, he lets the dove go, and oh, then you see yeah. the sun. Right? The sun kind of peeks through yeah, there. Yeah, peeks through. So like, you never know when it's. It could be twelve in the morning, or it could be twelve in the afternoon. You never know. Yeah. It's just always it's always dark there. It's always dark. It always it's seems like, like nighttime. It's raining. Yeah. In the winter time, it's like it's always dark. And and I mean the buildings really don't help with that either, you know. And that's part of like that whole the the set. I feel I they built pretty much all of that. Hey. Yeah. Physically. Yeah, I think it was all on a soundstage too. I don't yeah. think any of it. Maybe very little bit, like very little was actually shot in LA because they do have like real LA landmarks, um, like the the one building where that toy maker guy lives. I think oh, is that a real building? I think that's a real building, yeah. Okay. LA. But I, they probably recreated it. Um, well, I mean, a lot of that cityscape was built in miniature, too, for those ship scenes and stuff. Yeah. Like, they really took a page out of out of Star Wars books. Oh, for sure. Star yeah. Wars' book when they made those sets. Yeah. Um, and it made it feel so much more, you know, visceral, so much more like it was actually there. Yeah, and that's and that that's what I I'm gonna jump over to the second one real quick. But I also think that's what the second one did really well too is they they maintained that that um, physicality of it like that you could tangibility like you could actually you could actually see that that was that was real. And I like yeah. you know and obviously there's digital effects even back in the 80s or well maybe not digital it's more like rotoscoping and um, there, there was there was effects in there however they were very, made very minimalistic yeah well i mean there's the one particular shot where you can see there's a line where the buildings change color oh, and yeah. they change texture and they like you can see there's yeah. either a matte painting or yeah. something is there and they have but they have a ship flying through it so it can't really or a rear projection or something rear projection possibly yeah, yeah. but um yeah, I mean, like even the even the cars, like obviously it's it's almost what twenty twenty nineteen is when the twenty nineteen is when the flying film cars. Is set. We don't have any flying cars or anything like that, but it's it's based in reality, which is what I really like too. Is it has a real world a real world feeling, even though um it doesn't take place in the future that maybe we thought we were gonna have by this time, especially back in like the fifties. Oh yeah. Well, and and something interesting about that too, because you know you can go to like a a large city, I mean New York or or wherever, especially those compact ones, mm-hmm. and and really feel the the towering yeah. buildings over top of you, right? Yeah. That sort of block out the sun and keep yeah. out the warmth and all that, and it yeah. makes it feel really gritty. But there was something else too to that build that I thought was really unique, and it's it's not the only movie to have done it, but I think it was one of the first. Don't quote me on that. I think it was one of the first to do this, but. Uh, it integrated Chinese street culture 
mm-hmm. into its design, which I found super fascinating because from a from a like a projecting standpoint, the the people that are growing the fastest and have the most um, population are are the Chinese, and mm-hmm. um, it's not unrealistic to think that in a future they may their influence their street culture their their style of of yeah. shop like those little those little noodle houses that he goes to this is in LA right this yeah. isn't in in Shanghai or anything like that yeah. but like you feel like you're nowhere at all at once cuz there's so many different cultures but the yeah. chinese culture is very prominent yeah and uh uh they were saying some of, oh um in the making of the second one they were saying that it represented or like LA was supposed to look like um like the industrial Shanghai, but like 10 times worse. Oh well. yeah. Yeah. With the atmosphere and everything yeah. and, and those, and the like smog. How, how, yeah. And like everyone's walking around with respirators and like, you know, it's probably acidic rain that's falling too. Like just from all the factories, like even at the beginning, we're like, uh, where those, uh, those big stacks were with shooting flames out of them. Yeah. You know, those are probably, it factories, feels right? in extremely industrial yeah. and factorial, but it's also factorial. Is that even, uh, well, We'll go with it. <laughs> we'll go with it. But like right in the middle of this big like metropolis center, there's these gigantic factories. Yeah. Which you don't really see. They kind of just in in normal life, I guess, is what I'm referring to. When I yeah. Say, or but. they have they have sections of a city like even in Calgary, they have sections of the city that are dedicated to industrial. Yeah. They're zoned of, off to yeah. specific things, and, yeah. and they do that for a reason. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting that they're not, and it's. The, the the level of detail that was put into designing and creating the spaces to go again to the second one, I, I feel like we're going to be jumping back and forth yeah. a lot oh, throughout yeah, this. Sure. But in 2049, um, the in the special features, they talk a lot of, especially direct, the director, uh, Denis Villeneuve, talks a lot about his construction of these sets to give the actors the yes. space, right? Yes. So that they don't have to imagine. Um, and I... I I sympathize a lot with the things that he says because I I've seen I mean I avidly watch special features I I've yeah. worked on on bigger sets I kind of have an idea of of how green screens work and they're awkward and they're fucking annoying and oh, yeah. you know it's like yeah. how how are you supposed to as an actor be your character and live in the moment and also project what you're supposed to be seeing well, I think uh, some of the Star Wars prequels had so many problems with their acting too like as good actors as they had but like they were they were in front of green screens like probably seventy five percent of the time, mm-hmm. and they only had certain sets that were physically there. Yeah, and the costumes and the props. And, and, like, and that's you, all you they can had. see when it is right when yeah. when when like for example to stay on Star Wars for a minute when they're flying that fucking little pod thing through Coruscant in Episode Two when it's uh, uh, Obi Wan oh, and Anakin yeah, and they're yeah. just like leaning and doing all this weird <laughs> shit and it's yeah, like yeah. you can you can totally tell that they're just sitting in a in a yeah, one like, of those cheap amusement rides. Yeah, exactly. They probably just like took took some off of a, an amusement park and repurposed it. And I mean, I think they built it. Guys. I think they built it themselves. But oh yeah, they it, built but, it. I, I was just being. Oh, I see. You, you were know, being funny. I was right. being. Funny. <laughs> 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 Hilarious. Good joke, Paul. Good joke. <laughs> we're gonna have to save that one. Uh, we will. All we right. Will. So. Um, um. Sorry. Go on. Yeah, I was just saying, like, you know, they just stick them in this in this little gimbal that they have and they're like, okay, act like you're act like you're on a big city planet. Uh, obviously you can't build a whole city planet, but you can at least maybe like, I don't know. Like you only have like 
if anything, the actors really only have like concept drawings or maybe some 3D environments to like look at um, after the takes are done or before yeah. before that they do anything. And I mean, it's it's hard in scenes like that where you're in a ship flying around, which is why I think the way. Um, and even the ship sometimes is just a green box that they sit yeah. in, with like a little a little control yoke or a joystick or something. And and I think that's part of what made that those sets so real in both of them, like in the special features for forty nine and also for the first one. They mm-hmm. they built those cities, and even if they're in miniature and they're flying those things around, at least you um, could go to set and you could physically see it. Like you could be like, you know, if you're there on set and it's just like an establishing shot of the of the city, and say you're. Harrison Ford or Ryan Gosling behind the camera and you're looking at it all lit up and stuff and you're like, oh man. The okay, the water it. lights in um Jared Leto's office yeah. in, in 49 where they've got all those reflections everywhere yeah. is just like so the, kinetic the and detail. Like and I mean I mean when you have someone like Roger Deakins doing all the lighting, of course that's gonna be what you get. But you know, it it's it's everybody kind of coming together to make all of this stuff that, And they even said like all the crew and you know the cast were huge fans of the original Blade Runner too. So they were all there with like a common purpose to like fulfill like what they thought the second movie should be. It was really important yeah. to, it seemed. And I mean, there's interviews with Villeneuve that I've watched where he, he talks about how, how influential the original was on him as a, as a young filmmaker or as a young aspiring filmmaker and, and to be given the opportunity to make something like that. So you can really see that he cared about it when he oh yeah you know, big it, time you know money yeah. helps too but <laughs> yeah huge amounts of money um, I don't even think twenty forty nine did that well at the box office did it not I don't recall I mean because I, I I don't know I've I've talked to some some people like who aren't as into movies as we are that probably didn't know what the first Blade Runner was going into it thinking it was like this really like crazy futuristic action movie when that's not what again it it's, it's it's kind of a noir it matches yeah. the style almost flawlessly yeah. which is interesting because for such a an influential film in in the sci-fi world like it's it's um it's just so slow it is it's you know very, it's and a very slow movie and i i personally don't have a problem with that but the the slow methodical driving pace can be difficult for people yeah and like like we were talking earlier, like I was having, I was having a little trouble staying focused on it today just because for me anyway, like I got to be in a certain mood to watch Blade Runner Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I was in like that mindset today, but like the second one, I don't know. I don't know what it is with the second one, but like, I don't know this, the second one just, I don't know. it, it, It attracts me more just because probably the, probably just because they can, escape the boundaries of LA and they can travel outside LA and they, they had well. the benefit of $23 million on their side. Yeah. And I'm sh- I don't know. I can't off the top of my head, tell you what the budget for the first one is. I can look that up. Um, but the $23 million helped them expand and go further so than the for first 20, one. Did. For 23 million. That's pretty good. Like, they they a did lot a lot. Of, there's, there's a lot of movies out there that have like, you know, like a hundred million and their special effects aren't, aren't nearly so good or nearly or or even their sets like they choose the cg or they choose the the visually uh the graphically computer generated Mm -hmm. sort of style as opposed to building it and i i mean it's easier i guess for the for the crew for the technical people it's easier um for the vfx artists it's not but like for the director 
Um, they don't have to do nearly so much work. There's not yeah. nearly as much like physical planning that has to be done. Yeah. They just need to create the image. So I can I can see the appeal, and you can you can do more. You can go on a bigger scale for cheaper. But and and sometimes less is more. Yes. Well, and that's that's where I think the first one wins. I think that's where wins. all your creativity happens too. Is like you you know you're forced to figure out a solution to something. You're like okay, and then that's where. Like, like the magic happens, right? Well, it's so true. Yeah. I mean, when, when you have a, a limited budget and you can only build so much stuff and you can only do so much stuff, it's like, what's important? What, how can we combine things and manipulate things and move things around to make it, you know, make it as grand as we can and still yeah. be contained? And I, I think like Blade Runner 2049 did it properly where, you know, they didn't rely on, like they, they chose where they put their cgi and they they chose to use it as something to um enrich enrich what you're experiencing on the screen so you know when you talk about you know uh how big they made los angeles compared to the last one or they went over to um las vegas and they had like all these different locations like when you see when you see um k first first get into um la at the beginning um you see like it it enhances it like you can see like forever like how big los angeles has become and los angeles is pretty big right that that big build up where it's just blocks and blocks of buildings yeah. with the occasional street yeah that's exactly. lit up yeah. yeah exactly the the more slummy looking sections before you get into the big the big core with all the tall towers and yeah. everything yeah it's just like and if you look really closely like they look like little shacks they do like it looks like um uh I think it's somewhere in I think it's in Brazil or something where they oh. have you know those like big hills with like all the like uh, yeah yeah I know I know Rio I think, de Janeiro I think that's that is I think the biggest city in Brazil and I'm pretty sure that's where most of those photos yeah. come from yeah and that's kind of like what L A looks like in some in some areas when you're outside the the core of L A right mm -hmm. and um yeah. That's that's how you can enhance it, especially with the big holograms that like interact with you and everything. Like they're advertising that just like is kind of invasive. You know, hundred percent. You know, and and I mean, you kind of see a little bit of it in in the first one because you see that blimp that mm -hmm. flies around with the screens on it. You see the gigantic billboards on the side of every apartment building. Like there's no escaping these bright shining lights. Like even in the yeah. middle of the night or what might feel like the middle of the night, but could be the middle of the day. Cause who yeah. the fuck knows? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's bright blinding light coming through windows. Like even like in that office in the very, very beginning when yeah, I think it was the first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The very first, when the blade, the first blade runner gets yeah. shot by Leon, um, I can't remember the Blade Runner's name right now, but anyways, when he gets shot by Leon, like the, the lights coming through that window are, are, you know, they're blinding daylight. And I mean, there's all kinds of technical things that, that you can say like, oh, well that was built in a studio probably. And they didn't want you to see out that window and, oh, well you can look at the fact that they didn't quite match but, in size or but, like the lighting quite wasn't the same, but at the end of the day, you can still theorize at least like you can. You can at least make up a legitimate reason why there's yeah. a big light. Well, there was there was there was big lights all over the place yeah. that would have flooded it, right? And it's yeah. it's blinding and it feels like day. And I want I wonder if that's um because I don't think it's ever explicitly said, but I think it's hinted um that it's just it's always cloudy and it's always rainy and that's what they've done to the world. That's what I, we've done to the world of humanity. I, I also think it's because of those those giant those giant forgeries and stuff that they have 
in the city just pumping out pumping smoke. out steam and yeah, smoke all the time all the that time. condenses in the air yeah totally yeah, and it causes rain you know acid rain probably yeah, acid like rain, you were saying before yeah. you know and just like this big you know culmination of like everything just that's that's what blade runner is it's consumerism too right you know oh, when, yeah, when totally. you look yeah like you well, i mean i i think that became pretty obvious anyways as we were talking but like you know you got all the advertisements and then it's like people want their stuff now they want it now so like they they localize it yeah you know and and it it, it expands even more in in the second one mm -hmm. because the advertisements like they said in the special features and like we see a little bit they'll follow you through the streets you know Almost or like that panhandler yeah, yeah yeah or that that really big version of joy who mm, yeah. seems to know Joe? Well, it's uh, like Kay, right? Yeah, it's she like, she yeah. she calls him Joe, and she she says things to him that are um, personal. Like somehow she knows yeah. him. And I think that kind of like also jumps into like you've heard the stories about you know people just talking about cat food on their like if you just sit there and you talk about cat food while your phone's off you'll get a bunch of you'll get a bunch of advertisements for cat food. I I I've heard rumors about well, that. I don't yeah, know, I, I don't know if that's I a, I wouldn't put it past them though. I I well and and that that's where we're looking at stuff like with Facebook and with Google and how yeah. you know the the fine print and and the agreements you agree yeah. to is that they track and record all of your all of your data to give you personalized ads and some people love it, you know. Some people yeah. will say this is yeah. great. I don't have to look at ads that I don't give a shit about. Mm -hmm. I only see stuff that's relevant to me, mm -hmm. and other people get, you know, kind of worked up about the whole privacy thing. I get worked up a little uh, bit. Yeah, a, a little bit. <laughs> um, yet I don't do anything about it either, yeah. so, you know, there's... <laughs> Let's there's go protest. Um, having said that... Get uh, your picket signed. Get your... Yes, exactly. <laughs> get your picket signed. Your Hit the streets, get, it's time. Get, get your Cinematics picket sign on <laughs> cinematics.com when that's up. When, whenever we do that. Um... Yeah, so all of that darkness and that grunginess and and something that I found interesting and it's I don't think science fiction does this much. I know science fiction this as like kind of my wheelhouse of stuff that I I consume as far as media goes. Like I I don't see very many movies or books in sci-fi that talk about the at old technology, you know. And and let let me, let me clarify cuz I didn't say that very well. So what I mean is like you see um, all of this like fancy advanced technology for us, you know, flying cars. We've got these like androids. We've got these crazy computer scanner systems, but they're all old, you know, like they're dirty, they're run down. They're, yeah. they're not very, um, they're not very good. They fail. They have all the, like, like it's grungy and, it, and it's dirty. And I, most of the time when you look at sci-fi, it's like, Ooh, this fancy fandangle thing. Yeah, it's like got, super shiny yeah, and sterile hologram, hologram monitors and like, I, I don't know, like, whenever I see that in movies, like, say, for example, the Marvel movies, and you see all these holograms popping up, being, I don't know, like, being an actor, not being able to physically see that kind of stuff, like, if you've done a couple of them, you can kind of get an idea on what they're going to look like, and you can be like, oh, yeah, I know how it looks on screen, but, like, say your first time going in, you kind of feel a little bit kind of awkward just, touch, yep. like, touching empty space. And, and, I, and I mean, this, this, like, 2049 falls into that trap a little bit in some places, too, but... But it, it's very, it's still very like it's dirty and it's old and it's worn down. Yeah. And and Maniac, I don't know if you've seen that show on on Netflix. No. Um, but it's it's this really weird, and I, I'm sure there's maybe some budget constraints involved in this too. But essentially, uh, they made the decision to keep everything 
in the space kind of the same. So like if you were to walk out into, I think it's set in San Francisco or something, but if you walk out into the city, it looks like it would now for the most part, but there's sci-fi advances. There's like, Ooh, there's these little robots that clean up dog poop and they're, oh, okay, you know, yeah, little yeah. robots that drive around, but they're super old looking and retro looking and oh, they okay, feel yeah, like, yeah. you know, and, and, and the first movie was made in the eighties. So the, the tech that they were using was very relevant, was relevant at the time. And it was updated too. Like even, uh, uh, when they're when they're flying through the city at the beginning and he has those weird little hand controls that he uses. Mm-hmm. Like I just like the look of that kind of stuff on film because it, it seems like it always has like these different functions. Like you can always like flip something up and then it like I don't know, it just It like, feels real. Because the stuff real. we have does that looks, too. It looks complex. Yeah. You know, like uh one of the examples that I use often is like Ghostbusters, right? Oh yeah. With the way that the proton packs look and the way that like the, the front handles twist, it's like every time you see them, they always look a little different somehow. And you don't know quite how they operate because you've never operated one before. And that's kind of like one thing I like as, and it just adds like a nice dynamic to, to like a driving scene. Right. Yeah. You know, like it's not just, just, it's not just a standard steering wheel that we all know and love. Yeah. Like they're, they're flipping switches and they're, they're pulling levers and stuff and they're just doing all this like kind of like really odd looking stuff that just it looks cool like that's what i like it feels complex and it feels like it's got some kind of like purpose and direction to it and and alternatively like like it can go too far sometimes i can't think of an example now that would have gone too far oh yeah i'm sure you could i'm sure if you thought hard enough you could find examples oh um so we've talked about that for quite a while um what how do you think that impacts the tale of what it means to be human that this these movies try to try to encapsulate i think i think for one um just the the consumerism aspect of it like that just it's it's overshadowed like throughout the whole thing right like i don't know like especially in the second one too like when people don't have human contact they they buy this this joy app um just in a way to feel kind of human again right just for like companionship the the scary thing is that you can i think you can kind of do some sort of stuff like that now like you can there there are you know (laughs) i mean i mean not not to like point fingers at japan or anything but there Mm -hmm. there are there are products that exist in japan now that are companionship products that are so you don't have to deal with real people yeah which is something about (laughs) yeah well it is and but also picturable you know Mm -hmm. and i mean like in a world where okay so hear me out i I find this little little piece really really intriguing the whole the whole series the the short films that denis made the the full feature the the original the book it's all about grappling with what it means to be human and why androids are or are not and why they're different why this wall yeah. as robin wright it has said in in 2049 why this wall is there and and so the whole time all of the human characters villainize these androids because they're not human they're not real you know they've been manufactured but yet they're they're biological they're organic they're physical they have obviously emotions of some sort they have their own personality um, they have personality they have all yeah. of the aspects of being a human other than having been born which means for you know and it's almost never touched uh it's mentioned very briefly but the idea of the soul mm-hmm. and how 
androids would not have souls because they were not born they were created so therefore they're not they don't have souls they don't go to heaven or hell but they while still avoiding the religious aspects of it and yet while the humans are villainizing all of these androids all of these replicants for um being inhuman the humans are the ones who seem to be drifting away their, from their humanity yeah, right they're yeah. they're have they create these things so they don't have to talk to people yeah uh real people they create uh barriers they hide themselves they do all of these things that stop them or cut them off from their own humanity yeah. well and even um uh what was his name sapper dave batista's character at the at the beginning of the first one the one of the one of the first things that he mentions is um he asked he asked Kay if he ever saw a miracle and that's like you never see another human in in the whole in the whole series talk about miracles uh, miracles or the soul or anything like it just seems like they're all after they're all after the next big thing or it's it's hinted at like, or imagine, not not hinted at but in christmas in 2049 oh <laughs> like jeez you think it's bad now oh or black friday black, oh black friday <laughs> oh god that would be a <laughs> fucking riots. mess is what Massive it would be riots. not that it isn't already but that, that's interesting and and the only comparison i would make is that uh robin wright's character and i can never friggin remember the it's a lieutenant something or other they almost never even mention her name at all um but there's that one scene where um she tells uh k that he needs to kill this child yeah to to uh, maintain order because that's yeah. their job they maintain order mm -hmm. and he gets kind of worked up a little bit just a little bit about the idea of killing something that was born because if it's born it has a soul right and then she's like oh whatever you know you did fine without one yeah um and and that's i think the only other I'm trying to make sure I'm not saying something by putting my foot in my mouth here, but I think that's the only or close to the only other reference to a soul we get in 49. And she wasn't even she wasn't even asking or even implying that. I don't know, like she it wasn't directed at her like she wasn't talking about herself having a soul. She's like, you know what? You've done fine without one. Yeah. Almost as if she was soulless herself. I mean, the when I first watched the movie the first time in theaters, I thought she was also a replicant. Yeah. And it's, it's never said that she's not or is. Yeah. And um, but I got a vibe off of her. I don't know. It just there was felt... like some, some human about her, but something also very inhuman. It was same. It was the same thing with Wallace too. Like the, like there were times I was wondering, I'm like, is he a replicant too? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't think he is, yeah. but like just the way he acts and like his, his motivations and everything. And, and like, I, I think that's the thinking? point. I think yeah. that's the point in the first one. I think that's the point in 49. And I, I think, you know, I don't want to call 49 a better movie because I don't think it's a better movie. I think it's as good in, in different it ways. New ideas. It explores yeah. New ideas about it's it. as uh, Villeneuve has said in some of his interviews and what they tried to do is it's, it's uh, oh my favorite quote from the special features. You know, the one I'm talking about one, yeah. where he says, um, essentially using the same color palette with yeah. a different painter there we go yeah. it, it's the same color palette but a completely different painter yeah you know it's it's the same world it's the same ideas it's the same themes and and um and i almost see like the replicants and we were talking a little bit about this too is like they're the next step of human evolution because it seems like um like the replicants like a lot of people in the movie like 
like inside the movie called them like they're pure they're you know they got like all these different qualities to them where um uh, how do i explain it it's like the like the human race is like a husk that they're leaving behind it's like they're mm-hmm. next they're like it's like humans it's like humankind's next step and then the actual human side of it is like the part that's dying off it's like it's like the the neanderthal to you know whatever right yeah yeah it's, it's just it's like just an that. evolution to the next stage yeah exactly you know and and it's referenced a couple of times in the movies and then to go in the special features, there's those three short films that Villeneuve had contracted out to expand on the story, right? And and yeah. there's that animated one by Watanabe, um, where the human is talking at one point. The human's talking to, um, oh, what is her name? Oh, uh, Trixie. Trixie. Yeah. Um, and says, hey, you know, or he basically just says, you know. Uh, humans lie. We're we're unfaithful. We're liars. We're terrible. But like replicants are perfect. You yeah, know? that that's what I was trying to remember. Yeah, it's just like um, yeah, they're 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 just pure. It's just um, and it seems like they value human emotion more than humans do as well. Which is interesting, I guess, because you know when when you're just handed something, this this is totally like uh, uh not not an analogy, but an allegory, I guess, um. But I, you, you find with people that when they don't have to work for things, um, they value them a lot less. It's like, you know, people who have a lot of money and are just sort of handed everything mm-hmm. don't appreciate what they have. It's like I, I – you know, you know kids growing up who had rich families and their parents paid for their cars and paid yeah. for their insurance and paid for their gas or yeah, whatever, all those things. Yeah. And they just they, – they treat the car like garbage because they don't appreciate the value that it has. And it's kind of that way in in Blade Runner. You know, the people are just given these emotions, and so therefore they don't care about it. But the the androids they have they have it hard, and they have to fight for these things, and they develop them, and they learn them, and they earn them, and then and then they're told they can't have them, but they want them anyways. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the other thing. Uh, oh yeah, the, like one of the other things that I was gonna point out with um, like the the human emotion aspect is. It seems when I don't know, like me, and this is this is probably gonna sound kind of weird, but like, be confident. Um, I'm just trying to put it into words. Um, I guess when you're trying to make a lot of money and you're trying to make a an impact, sometimes you have to split with some of your own morals, and. I, Blade Runner being a world where it's mainly um, saturated with like all these big corporations and advertisements, it's like that was kind of kind of the start of the downfall. Is just because you have to you have to uh, sacrifice a part of yourself in some cases to make all that money. Yeah, well, and I mean, I mean, look at look at Wallace. You know, he's in forty nine. He is the most successful human on the planet. Yeah. Essentially, you know, and he's got the ego to match, but he's incomplete. You know, he can't see. His eyes are all fucked up, you know, and yeah. he has to use technology to be able to see. Um, just an example that I was throwing yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so all of this is to say that um, the the uh, in, my, not, in my in my oh sorry, sorry go, go, no I'm, no I'm, go for it <laughs> no I was sorry I was just like and I'm not saying like all corporations are bad. But mm-hmm. it's just you know sometimes sometimes in order to to uh, succeed at certain things you gotta you know 
You, you have but to make you, you can't have everything that the classic saying, you know, you, you yeah. want your cake and to be able to eat it, but you yeah. can't, yeah. you know, you can eat it or you can have it. Yeah. And, and when it comes to, when it comes to big businesses and when it comes to that kind of thing, I mean, we even see it today with, um, you know, companies like Amazon or companies like, um, you know, Walmart. Walmart. Well, Walmart's. I, I mean, they're not great, but they're a lot better after everybody called them out for their shit. They yeah. they've been making. But like like like, let's look at. I mean, not to get our podcast shut down, but like let's look at uh, Tesla and SpaceX and all those guys run by. Um, oh my God, I lost his name. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Um, you know, like he's he's a very driven, a very driven human being who who has a goal. A specific goal, you know. Yeah. He wants to get people to Mars. He wants to be the one who, yeah, who saves all of this. But, but it, at the end of the day, these advancements come at a cost. They come at the cost of, of wages for employees, of breaks, of of good uh, working conditions, of yeah. all these things. And it's the same, you know. Amazon's notorious for not treating their workers well in their, you know, in their warehouses and things like that. But you know, people use Amazon all the time because it's convenient. It's easy. You know, you. Don't have to leave your house to order yeah. almost anything except groceries, yeah. and and so people fuel this multi-billion-dollar uh, corporation that has made sacrifices to become as successful as they are. Yeah, and uh, even even when it comes to genetics too, like this is something that we talked about briefly mm-hmm. as well. But like, you know, you get something like genetics that starts off very beneficial to humanity. You know, you're curing sickness. And then once you kind of figure that out, <clears throat> once you kind of figure that out, then it becomes a, more of a business. It becomes sexy, right? So then oh. you start replacing people's eyes, replacing their noses. You know, you want Botox. You, yeah, you make people want all these new upgrades to their face because everybody feels like shit about themselves. You make and them then, feel bad about themselves, so they want. And that's these like things. a huge advertising thing too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, all of the, all of the you know commercials for uh, makeup, all the commercials mm-hmm. for. Um, most beauty, all brought all beauty products yeah. are you don't see average looking people on those commercials. Mm-hmm. You see beautiful people. And you yeah. also see synthetic people, people yeah. whose facial features are tweaked, their body. Oh yeah. Visually, tweaked, you know, digitally, all that kind like of Like just stuff. perfectly symmetrical people that you yeah. never ever see. It's well, like, and, and symmetry, symmetry is beauty for people. You know, I yeah. mean, if, if, if someone is not symmetrical, you're, you you might not even know you're thinking about that, but if they're off off center somehow or whatever, it's it's not quite right. It feels off, and yeah. and it's less beautiful than someone who's perfectly sim- symmetrical. Yeah. I I think one of the few examples of people who get away with with that is actually Ryan Gosling. Yeah, because uh, his face his, isn't very, his yeah. eyes are uneven, and I never <laughs> noticed it. I never noticed it yeah. until this past like year or so, and. Uh, he, he's a very attractive human being, you know, <laughs> he's a very uh, if, man. if I were gay or a woman, I would be super into him. <laughs> um, but, but yet he still has that. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, movie magic or whatever they do things to, yeah. you know, they, they tilt the camera or he keeps his head tilted a lot and, <clears> and things like that. But, but every now and again, you see it. And, yeah. and when you start noticing it, it's always there, but he, he gets away with it yeah. somehow. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's great. Away. It's great. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's super, super <laughs> duper off topic from what we're supposed to be talking about. So I think we've run dry a little bit on the things to say about production design, unless you have anything to add, Mr. Production mm, Designer, mm, Art Department. Not, mm, oh, actually, yes, there is. One more thing. Yeah. Um, with the costumes in the first one, I mm. felt they had, 
at least for like the higher up people like Rachel and like um like the CEO of Tyrell and everything like they kind of had like a very almost like renaissance kind of Victorian royalty style. yeah royalty kind of thing going for their uh, for their costumes and everything they they definitely feel like royalty you yeah. know like like even like they got even the big collars that like go above their heads the, and everything the crazy sort of like fancy hairdos yeah. and they they feel like royalty you know it's it's the it's the top one one percent, and and I don't think the movies ever ever really approach it that way. Um, but there's an argument to be made there for mm-hmm. oh, mar- yeah. Marxist readings and and uh, <laughs> you know the common man being you know the winner of all of this because at the end of the day, you know the rich ones die, their corporations die, they lose. You know it's the everyman, it's it's Decker, it's yeah, um, um, K that yeah. that win in the end you know so there, yeah. there's an argument to be made there for that but that's not i think what the movies are about at all no um but to speak kind of about like a, costuming kind of like a timeless sort of thing that they're going for but mm-hmm. anyway sorry to, to speak to costuming i mean it it's it's super unique in the first one the whole uh the original movie the whole design of it's it's either it's renaissance or it's very like gothic like a lot of the clothing from the mm-hmm. for the the street people is quite gothic yeah um but you look at the you look at the second one and and we were talking a little bit about that earlier you were talking about color and drabness and darkness and grayness and how you know the original blade runner is gray blue black um and white for the most part yeah there, there, yeah, there's those are like bits the primary, and pieces primary uh sort of things the, they're going the for the palette yeah yeah um but in the second one they break it up with instances of color um that are so much more stark because of it you know it's like most of the time it's it's drab and dark and and dreary and whatever but then there's say for example that bar scene in the special features they're talking about where where uh is at that stand table and he gets approached by the prostitute uh or the dancer uh pleasure pleasure model pleasure model (laughs) that's the word pleasure model um replicants and that whole scene plays out and in the special features they talk a little bit about the costume design and not they don't go into super detail but but they show you some stuff that you don't even notice and it reminded me so much of how film can focus and fixate on these tiny 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 details and you'd have to watch the movie over and over again to to catch on like like that scene there's people in the background wearing like bear onesies yeah. and like the the the, the variance in the gas or the respirators yeah. that people have and the the variance in costumes are so insane and the amount of time that people spent picking those out and making those and yeah, designing those huge. And and it's in the movie for about five minutes, and you don't even see half of it probably. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's people in there that were never seen on camera. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's it's crazy to me that that's. Yeah. Um, one other thing I kind of want to just add about the uh, the advertising too, just because you mentioned mm-hmm. color and everything, but if you look, <clears throat> if you look at Los Angeles in the movie, if it wasn't for the advertising, it almost had no color. It's almost like the advertising Sorry. adds adds like purpose or it adds like flavor to people's lives it's like that's what they go after it, because, it's eye-catching yeah and even the replicants you know? too you can look at them as products because that's yeah. essentially what they are and they're and the they're ones, colorful and they're colorful you know, most they, of the time most except of the time. for k k's not very colorful but like but he's not meant to be a replicant of replicants right like he's not he's not there to attract attention he's that's the, true yeah the low yeah. of the low he's yeah, the but, replicant that kills replicants yeah and right? yeah because like yeah if you just look at la especially when he's flying over 
it's all gray and black and like it's really mm -hmm. but the there's only no the only lights you see are the advertisements are the advertisements yeah. in that shot and that's a long that's like a 30 or 30 second shot probably at least yeah, yeah and you see one, like yeah. six or seven main roads and the only lights are, are those ad big ads so it's and like, it's the same when in that final like that final moment where he's deciding whether he's going to help the revolution or not and he stands on the bridge and there's that gigantic yeah, joy yeah. that knows him so well somehow yeah you know it's a whole everything's blue the whole place is blue he's blue the buildings are black the sky's black everything is drab yeah and then there's this bright pink and like candy green bubblegum blue oh yeah is that blue, even a yeah. color blue hair yeah or cotton candy cotton blue. candy blue yeah. or whatever bubblegum pinks like yeah. like the most colorful thing in the entire movie pretty and much besides like las vegas black too right yeah black that was or, or that like was a weird. deep deep red or something that was really weird I, yeah. i'm not sure what to make of that i was like i don't want this <laughs> no <laughs> this is this is a little like strange a i don't know if i can oompa loompa from hell or something i don't even know how to describe it <laughs> an oompa loompa from hell oh god that's not very nice to say about the one of the most beloved characters in the movie holly i always they always kind of freak me out that, that that's fair and i mean they, they're supposed to but then that's that's another interesting fact too i mean there's so much to talk about in these movies yeah. but like that's another interesting thing is that like we've got here two replica two fake people quote unquote fake people we have k who's a full-blown replicant who's been you know despite what he might think has been you know created in a lab for us the sole purpose of killing other replicants and then we have this computer program who isn't even physically there that yeah. you can't touch yeah. you can't touch her at all and yeah. as soon as he does she flickers and goes all funky yeah and they have the most real heart or what feels like the most real heartfelt warm relationship yeah in the whole movie yeah. you know like like they t again in the special features of of this which we should we should mention for the 2049 version or for sorry for the the original version we're using the 2007 final cut yes which is ridley scott's definitive edit yeah of that one yeah um and then i i think just the regular 2049 version if i'm not mistaken but anyway yeah yeah um but they have the most like visceral real relationship in the whole movie you know and it's yeah. it's 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 humanizing to them and in the special features they say oh well you know we were they were going for this idea of that you don't really know if she's autonomous or not because her mm. character is supposed to it adapts to uh k's preferences yeah it adapts to k's preferences it adapts to his personality but but at the end of the day she has these pre-programmed things that she says mm. you know yeah. they were talking about how because she's a computer at the end of the day she's an ai who has a set like system that she runs yeah and yet she feels more human than so many of the human characters that you almost think that she's autonomous and you want to believe that she's autonomous yeah and i one thing i kind of uh i kind of wrote down too was you kind of you kind of feel even though she's not physically there you kind of feel an um, an emotional response to joy and you kind of mm -hmm. get you kind of you're kind of put in k's shoes a little bit you're kind of like man like you know when certain things happen you feel pretty bad about yeah. what happened. Yeah. Right? Oh, oh, when when her little device gets yeah. stomped. Oh my god. That's like probably yeah. the saddest moment in the entire movie just yeah. watching watching because you know 
I mean, at the end of the day, you know that she's his only friend, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, again, she feels more real than everybody else. And thirdly, you like you know how much their relationship is. Yeah. How, how strong. And, or and, how, how valuable it is yeah. or whatever. And and I guess, like, in other films when you watch, you know, someone – because it happens a lot where, where people, like, they watch their wife get killed or they watch their lover, whatever it is, get killed. And but it's like, it, no! It, and it, it's impactful, but for some reason that felt – more impactful is that is that weird yeah no like uh you know because i think when you overreact to something like that let's let's just say darth vader in episode three the big yeah yes right but when it happens to joy in the movie you just like ryan gosling he's just laying on the floor he's all fucked up and he's like ah like you feel like can't do anything you feel like his heart broke when that when that little stick broke yeah it's like oh man and then and then to to land on top of that the scene where they're on the roof in the rain and she's feeling rain on her skin for the first time that's that's like one of the most uplifting i'd argue scenes in the movie yeah you know so and then there's uh... a. Oh, i don't even remember what i was gonna say that's, that's okay Slip that's okay we should probably move on Let's to move a, on. another thing because <laughs> yeah, we have we've t- pretty much talked for almost an hour about uh, everything okay so i guess we've talked a little bit about it but the lighting in both of them mm-hmm. is really interesting and you know in in the first one it's it's the lack of lighting in a lot of ways mm-hmm. it's um it's how they use shadows to obscure things and make people feel in corners and darkened and yeah and make e- maybe even make rooms feel smaller than they actually are kind of giving you that you know you kind of you kind of have the freedom to move around but mm-hmm. at the same time, you feel like you don't just because it's so dark and you just you feel trapped almost. Yeah. And and I mean, the only place in in the first one that you don't you don't really see that is is in Tyrell, you know, um, the the head of the company, whatever his first name is, Tyrell, has a gigantic bedroom that they really sell the depth to mm. or that big meeting room where he in- interrogates Rachel for the first time and, is gigantic. Yeah, and it's it's one of the only places in the movie. I think Deckard's apartment has a little bit of this light, but it's it's like the only place in the movie, I think, that has like a yellow light as opposed to like a bluish white. That's also true. It's and warm I, I and inviting, and which I is interesting. And I don't know why, because they're, you know, Tyrell I, of all places shouldn't have that light. It's like a golden light. Like, that's But, what but I, I think, I think, you know, the, the juxtaposition there is probably intentional, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, it's the, it's oh, the yeah, big bad enough. corporation or whatever. But at the end of the day, Tyrell himself is not an evil person and that he's never presented as a villain. That's true. He's yeah. just, He's just a guy who's trying to better humanity in the same way that, you know, um, Wallace is just a guy trying to better humanity, albeit with a bit of a big ego. Um, you know, and, and so the warm inviting light makes us feel, you know, safer or happier or or more comfortable in these places. Corporation is basically a big fortress too. So like when you automatically, when you go in there, just seeing the thing, you probably be like, no one can get me in here. Yeah, it it feels it feels imposing when you when when that big swoop comes in and you see the the physical structure that they they've constructed for yeah. this and you see the building and it's like it's so cool looking but it's so like Big Brother. Oh yeah. Um, it looks like a big pyramid. Yeah, or but two when, pyramids. Yeah, but when you go into it, it doesn't feel like that at all. And it's yeah. the same in in forty nine too with the building that Wallace Corp has taken over, which is the, the same, same building. building. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the yellow lighting. It's the warm lighting. It feels there's water 
yeah, um, which, which you don't see which, bodies of water anywhere else. Yeah, and uh, I think the symbolism of uh, water too is is life. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah for so, sure. Um, just the fact that there's water in there and there's so much of it and it's reflecting off the walls and uh, even just Wallace. Wallace is like, um, well, he saved he saved humanity for mm -hmm. one. He saved humanity for one, and then also he's creating all these different replicants, and he's like, it's it's almost like his his mission to like cr like create these these replicants as another. I don't even like. He refers to them as his children, doesn't he? Um, you're talking about Wallace. Yeah, Wallace, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he refers to them as his angels. Oh, his angels. Yeah. Um, oops. But the implication there is a father figure uh in in the same way that like um with with rachel and with uh tyrell too it's a very like it's a father daughter it's a it's a husband wife it's it's like every kind of uh, familial relationship or otherwise that you can can think of but like all sort of familial and at the end of the day it's it's like a well, I mean, the whole first one is like a meet your maker kind of story at the end of the day for, for yeah. Roy Batty. Um, Batty, well, I don't know. I'm not sure how they make it out in or why the brackets or anything in that one. It's not quite that way in, in Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. But um, it's it's very, like, fatherly, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. He, he almost, I don't know, it almost seems like uh, he's trying to, pull off the jesus the jesus the jesus like metaphor he is the jesus <laughs> <laughs> who are you i'm the jesus <laughs> <laughs> but but essentially yeah i mean he's like oh these are my angels you know like yeah. that's a he, or even he, god, he even feels jesus. himself as a god yeah you know for, for in the case of um uh wallace you know yeah and so when he when he kills them you know he, he's got very little remorse because again you know, there's the whole like replicants aren't human thing. Yeah. Um, but there's still like that idea of deification. I don't know. It's it's really strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But back to lighting. Lighting. Because we got run off that again. <laughs> um. The the one of the most impactful sequences for me as far as lighting goes, besides like the really cool. Uh, scene in 49 where where they're in that um theater room and elvis is playing there's like no sound oh, yeah, and it's yeah. super creepy yeah. and it's glitchy out like the, the the work that went into that and just the and, lighting plan on that must have been insane oh it sounded like it took like weeks or months yeah. to do and, and they, it, it, they super had cool. they had like the choreographed lights mm -hmm. that were on the stage but then they also had the colored lights that were off the stage yep yeah so they just the ones had on like the roof. this big amalgamation of just different lights doing different things and, all programmed into a, a lighting plan that at the end of the day was created by deacons so. and also like you know with the uh with the holograms and everything too, right? Mm -hmm. They probably had to create light for that as well, just to reflect off the actors and stuff, right? I would yeah, think. yeah, I guess. Because they would have had, when they were looking at them fighting, like you would have had to have a light source for those bright holograms. Yeah, that had to go on and off in succession with like what was supposed to be happening on screen as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so no, there's a lot Probably to... even more intricate than we think it is. So so much like choreography and planning that go into that but but even that like it was a really cool sequence but for me the most impactful lighting change in the entire series so far has been um k arriving in vegas oh yeah for right sure. because it's the first time you see the sun really 
Yeah, I mean, and you don't even see the sun, but it's like it's bright. It's bright, right? Yeah. And it's you know, not, it's not like a nice. The like, whole world is 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 polluted and smoggy, but here where nobody lives, it's clearing. You know, it's like it's not as bad. The sun comes through. It's bright, reddish, orangish, and I don't know. It just feels so much different, and oh, yeah, I don't know. It add, it added yeah. so much to that whole scene. I think. And it it doesn't it doesn't uh, like with that like huge color change too it doesn't change the feeling like oh man like maybe maybe the like the world in this world anyways like oh man maybe like there is something better out there it like still gives you that sense of dread like it's just this nasty nasty sun just beating down on you through the clouds it's not yeah it's not like it feels i mean when they're in the building where deckard's living where it's all soft like that casino kind of space they built that to me felt like warm and inviting and kind of homely. And I really liked that. They kind of gave Decker that space Deckard drop the D there. Um, but, but yeah, when they're outside, when he's walking around by himself, even when he's going through like the bees and the broken statues and all that, which I'm still blown away that they made those, you know, that they constructed those like just behemoths of, of statues all for this set. Like I can't even imagine what it would have been like to walk, walk onto that set in the morning, you know, and, and see them like pumping fog <laughs> everywhere. And like, Oh man, it would have been, it would have been something. I would have slept in the hands of one of those statues in the hands. <laughs> I would have just put set up a little sleeping bag in a pillow and just like, like where the, some of them have extended <laughs> out. I just climb up there. This is sleep. my bed now. I live here. <laughs> Someone doesn't know you're sleeping up there and you just roll out or something by accident. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. But yeah, so it was, it was, it was a nice change, I guess, because yeah. you were talking about that too, about wanting to see something more than just dark and and dingy. And I, yeah. I super, super, super like the first one for the fact that it's unrelenting in its darkness and that's shittiness. True. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but because in forty nine, it's the world isn't a much worse place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think counteracting the physic like the image like that scene where they're going through the trash and it's all just like that broken metal mm-hmm. um what it, like that that's so apocalyptic you know compared to almost anything else we've seen in the rest of the series yeah so showing some semblance of of happier brighter images is a good balance oh for sure but like even when he uh he arrives he arrives in vegas it's like um Oh, damn it. I keep, I, I fucking forgot what I was going to say. Cause it was like, it was like a good, it was like a good description of what the sun was in that scene, but I can't, I just can't remember what it was now. Anyway. A description of what the sun was. Interesting. Oh, oh damn it. I it was, remember. it was beating and brutal is what it was. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Exactly. It's all good. Um, so something that I noticed um, to bring ourselves back around a little bit to the the theme of humanity and human and, and what it means to be and all that kind of stuff, um, philosophizing a little bit, if you will, uh, about it. Um, eyes. Hello, cat. Thanks for making noise. <laughs> eyes are very... Um, they're the windows to the soul. Well, so that's the thing. So they're very important in these movies. You know, in the beginning to the, to the original... There's those scenes with the fire over what we assume to be Deckard's eye. Um, there's, right. you know, all, all the cameras pointing at people's eyes all the time. Um, and then there's that effect, 
you know, where where we, with replicants, oh, yeah. we see that. I think of, it's the I think it's called the lucidum tepidum or something. The the which? I think it's called the I I think that area of the eye that like reflects that yeah. way is called the lucidum tepidum or okay. something. Okay. Anyways, but science. Science, and I don't even know if I remembered it. But anyways, like I think. I don't know whatever they do with that. Like that's really creepy and it's like really unnerving. Like well, and, like, and the, uh, the point of it was to give a difference to or, an artificiality. Yeah. To the to the replicants, right? So when you look in their eye and you see that glint, you know, it's like oh, you know, it, it's a it's a suspicion, and you don't really realize until you get to the end of the movie that that's what that is. Kind of like what they did with the Terminator too. Is it? Well, yeah, because like the Terminator has that red eye, right? And. uh yeah, I mean, it's oh, just, yeah, the, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, it's kind of a similar idea on what they're trying to go for. Like, it looks human, but it's not. But it's not. And and you, you see that difference. And, and when you're looking at, at someone, in some, like, mm, let me start that over. When you're looking in somebody's <laughs> eyes, it's uh, like so a lot of people have a hard time meeting people's gaze because it's it's a very intense uh, sort of feeling that you can sometimes get if you stare directly yeah. into someone's eyes while you're talking yeah. to them, right? And it's it's a learned behavior in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Um, so when you're looking at someone who's a replicant and their eye is not like that, yeah, um, it it it's unsettling and also it it creates that that difference again. Um, and interestingly enough, that was a practical effect. Oh yeah, I bet it was. Yeah. They, uh, they just um, essentially bounce, bounce planned light. out the optical angle and planted a light so yeah. that it caused the reflection at the exact right angle to, to do that. that. Yeah. And I can't even imagine how much time and calculation would probably have had to have been spent yeah, it, setting I mean, all that up to make it work properly. If, if you were to veer slightly off course, like if your head were to move slightly, you'd probably lose that effect. So well, and, and you see it in some of the still. scenes when when people turn their head a different way, like it either changes eyes or like yeah. one of their eyes will not have it. But that that makes it also feel more real because it's not yeah. like their eyes always look like that. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. just the glint of the light making them look <clears throat> unreal. Yeah. And it was creepy as, as crap. One thing I like to point out with the eyes, too, at the beginning of the first Blade Runner, it was a blue eye which I can only assume are the color of Deckard's eyes because I never really paid attention. Her eyes are blue, though. Or no, they they were were green. green. That's right. the second one, the eye was green, right? That's right. Yeah. The beginning eye was green. Yeah. So there's also that. Interesting. You know, and also to point out, like, uh, that the windows are, or the windows are the eyes to the soul. (laughs) They sure are. (laughs) The windows over there. They're the eyes to your soul, hey? Vice versa. But (laughs) it's kind of funny that the humans... Or at least people run by, or the replicants run by the humans are always going around plucking their eyes out. Oh yeah, so that that's that is really interesting. And there was that detail that we missed when we watched the oh, right because yeah. there's that scene where he he gets the the scanner or whatever to put it in and scan the serial number on the yeah. bottom of his eye, and it's like look up and left. But and I, and I found that really a really really fascinating and well inserted piece of writing. Uh, in the sense that, like, they never tell you anything about it. You know, if mm-hmm. if you aren't paying attention, you'd have no idea why the look up and left is even a thing. Like, I thought at first it was just an eye scanner, and then he's like, "Look up and left, please." And I don't. I didn't I d- see anything. I didn't, What's the point of that? And I thought I missed something. I, I, and we did miss it because if you look back in the oh, special yeah, features, yeah, we, you, you see the, it better in there. the short films. Yeah. In the short, like I think it was like the anime where we first saw it. I think. Yeah, where they talk about uh, how the right eye 
has um, the, the the serial code on the yeah, bottom. You know, yeah. their magical right eye is what the one guy says in right. that film. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of 2049, we see that the one girl has ripped out her eye, her right eye, because then people can't, you know, tag her as a Again, as a, an android. And she just wears big sunglasses all the time, so yeah. it's good. Exactly. And <laughs> and but but then there was that clip is played again in those special features when they talk about it. And in that clip, I saw the code. Yeah. But when we watched the movie, I didn't see it because it was so fast. Yeah, yeah. You know, but they never go back to it and they never tell you it. So yeah, like, unless we you're paying attention. Like, oh, we were like both like, oh, shit. Like, there it is. Like, OK, I get it now. Yeah. There was that aha moment where you feel like yeah. you've discovered something, but really you're just kind of an idiot from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's very subtle, which is good. Like, it doesn't like flat out just like direct you to it. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like small, tiny little thing. No close-ups or extreme close-ups or any of that. So that was interesting, too. Super, super duper. All right, I'm just going to... I'm referencing my notes here real quick. Um, You're a brave runner. To make sure we've talked about everything that I kind of wrote down to talk about, because I know we haven't, uh, but there was a few things. We talked about the atmosphere, the... Oh, there was some interesting um, use of time transitions, mm-hmm. and it has nothing at all to do... With anything we've talked about so far, I I just I picked up on it in the scene where Deckard's trying to like think. He's having his detective moment where he's like walking around, getting drunker and drunker, trying to figure out what what the mystery is, right? You know, mm-hmm. the classic sort of detective, hardball detective moment. Um, and they cut like throughout the course of a night by showing him drinking from his glass, and every time he drinks from it, it's like a little bit less mix or not not less mix but like there's different variations of full or not and he just keeps draining it oh okay yeah. you know but but like the cuts are almost as though it's like one after the other like it's yeah. this scene and then it's a continuation of the scene but really it's like potentially an hour or two hours later yeah i just thought that that transition was really clever because it, yeah, was it wasn't subtle. A, it wasn't like a continuity issue it was just him pouring different amounts of whiskey yeah. in his glass exactly whatever, right and it, and it was it was subtle and again that whole subtlety thing is really important oh yeah especially, I, in especially with especially with blade runner too well that the whole movie's built on it right yeah um so let's i guess let's talk about some symbolism Ah, Paul. What's the symbology there? So, the movie, um, the movie does a lot of things. It tries to talk about, again, we keep coming back to this idea of humanity and what it is to be human. Um, and there's a couple of images that are really weird in the first one when you see them. Um, the first one is the image of the unicorn mm-hmm. galloping through a field first. This like sort of weird. Oh, cat. This <laughs> this weird uh, flashback, this strange sort of not not flashback, but like f- almost fever dream that Deckard has of this unicorn running through a field. And then there's his not really his partner, but like the cop that he keeps getting picked up by, uh, who makes these little paper cranes of a unicorn is yeah. the the one. Um, and unicorns are interesting because they're biblical in a sense. Um, that they're in the Bible briefly, and then they all die off in the flood, if you're talking Christianity. Um, but their symbology is very like, uh, what is it? They're only can be captured by a virgin, and they are a symbol of purity and grace. So, so what, what, why is that unicorn there? Why does it keep popping up? 
and we talked about purity be as like androids are pure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the yeah. idea that like humans are shitty and but they're human and androids are not quite human, but they're pure and they're they're more good and loyal. Um you know, so is that unicorn like supposed to supposed to represent Rachel? Is it is it a symbol for Deckard of Rachel? Is is she his unicorn in a way? What is that? What do you think? I don't know because it all it all depends too on uh, whether or not Deckard's actually a replicant, which is never actually in in these films and in, in the areas that we are talking about. It's never clarified whether he's yeah. actually a replicant. It's suggested. It's suggested. Uh, yeah. And in the book, he's definitely not. In oh, the book, okay. they make a point of saying Deckard is not. He is a human who is empathetic towards uh, androids. Oh, okay. Uh, and they're called, I believe they're actually just called androids in the book. Um, okay. But in the movies, it's not clear, you know? There's there's seeds of doubt. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think the movie does really effectively, too, is uh, you just you just never know. Like, you just and, and you can only assume, well, I guess you can't even assume, but there's the idea that maybe he, maybe he isn't because, well, he was able to impregnate an android. So would he not need to be a human? A human to do that. But also then it if if I mean I think if they can start developing emotions after a certain amount of time, why not bodily functions unless they just well, yeah. don't exist? I don't know. But that's the thing cuz like it, it's but also never these, clarified if how, they have How long have these things been around to actually to actually evolve naturally like that? Well, I don't think they necessarily completely naturally evolve because the, they say the first like six generations live for like four years um, and then they die and they've been working on them for, I don't know, what is it? 2019 is when they start and 2022 is when they shut down production. Right. Or, or well, 2019 is when it's set, but they've been being made for longer than that. So let's say they've been being made for like a decade or, or, or a decade and a half yeah. and then they get shut down and then they come back in 2036. Is it? That that short film says twenty thirty six I think that be, yeah. that yeah, Wallace Corp was, yeah. is allowed again to create yeah. them, um, so then they have another thirteen years after that to evolve again, um, so there's some progression so it's very possible that he could be, um, but to the unicorn point, the unicorn like what is the, I I'm I'm at a loss I think, beyond. The idea that androids are pure, beyond the idea that maybe it's Rachel that the cop is referring to with that little thing, yeah. his little crane, um, because the other thing is cranes are a symbol in Japan. I also looked uh, this up because I wanted to be sure I was right. Uh, cranes are a mystical creature uh, and is believed to live for a thousand years. Um, and it represents good fortune and longevity, and they're referred to as a bird of happiness, and the wings were believed to carry souls up to paradise. This is, like, the meaning of the origami crane uh, from some, like, um, what is this? jccc.on.ca. I don't know. It's it's a, a an educational piece of material. Um, so, and also, if you make enough of them, your wish will come true. So all of these things are interesting because it doesn't seem to apply so much to the guy who makes them. As to the people he's given them to. Well, yeah, and, and I mean his wish, I don't. we don't know what his wish is because that's the other thing. If you make a thousand of them, your wish could be a real true. boy. 
Oh my God! Maybe he's a replicant. <laughs> Everybody's a replicant, man. Everybody. You're all around us. You're a replicant. <laughs> I, I am. Fucking replicant scum. Oh God! I've started it. This is the end of the podcast, Paul. Uh, but I, I just found it really interesting, and and I thought maybe, you know, um, Rachel's almost this figure to Deckard. Like he he meets her and he immediately falls for her, and and she's like this this perfect figure of companionship. And, you know, in 49, they meet up with his partner and interview him or ask him questions about Deckard. And he says, oh, he liked to be alone. And the only reason we work together is because, you know, we helped each other other be alone. Yeah. But then he's also, he's found this, this woman who he doesn't want to be alone for. He wants to be with her. Mm -hmm. So she's almost like his unicorn, his purity, his, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but then why even the rediscovery of his own humanity? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I mean if he is human, rediscovering that because uh, and why put it in that in the middle of that drunken like I mean other than the fact that it only makes sense when he's drinking to see that, but like why there? Because then he has what, what is the revelation he has coming out of that scene? He does all this and then he he has the the re- realization about uh, Deckard I think or not Deckard um, um Roy. Yeah, why can't I remember now? Anyway, he he spends all this time looking at these photos and stuff, and then wasn't there's... it that snake lady? Yes, it was the snake lady, and then he goes to that that sort of seedy uh, underground yeah. club place. Yeah, yeah. And and that's his that that's so weird. I don't know what it's doing there or what it, what purpose it serves. Maybe Open maybe floor. his maybe his maybe his wish is to regain his his humanity. I don't know, maybe. I don't know, man. It's it, you, it, it's, it's complicated. It's a, it's I think weird. I think it's I think it's, it's something weird... that <laughs> I think it's something that needs to be thought about after because we just jumped into both of them like right. Well, and I mean, th- this is what we do for all of our podcasts, and I think that that's why we. It's it's fun it's to pose thing. it's fun to pose questions. Yeah, and if 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 you know anybody else has any thoughts about it, you know, let us know. You can contact us on Twitter or whatever if you have any thoughts about what that might be. Um, but I, yeah, it's a question to pose and one that doesn't, that I don't have an answer for without doing a whole bunch it of like, it even be a question without an answer. It could be. There's no um, way um, of knowing. <laughs> There's no way of knowing. Uh, and then the other, the other symbol that was really interesting and weirdly out of place is at the very, very end, um, when Roy is on the roof chasing Deckard and they jump across the building and he suddenly is just holding a dove. Yeah. And it's like, where did he get it? How did it get there? What is the point of him holding it? He got it from John Woo. He got (laughs) probably. (laughs) So, um, so I looked up doves because I was also very curious about that. And in Judaism, in in that stream of religion, uh, doves are uh, or souls are envisioned as being fairly bird-like. Um, and a dove, uh, was also, it was released by Noah after the flood to find land. Um, and, uh, so, um, souls pictured as bird-like doves are considered in popular culture, a symbol of peace, of, uh, friendship, of, um, togetherness, I guess. I have a theory. Uh Uh-oh. What if, what if the dove represents 
Roy's soul leaving his body, even though he's he does. a replicant. So he that that that's one. that's where I was going with that. Yeah. I'm glad you uh, you were on the same page here, because I was I was totally thinking along the lines of well, the, he's got this dove, the dove is almost his soul, and then he dies and it flies away. You know, it's like it it's like even though he's a replicant who theoretically doesn't have a soul, you know, this dove flying away almost suggests that he in fact does Mm -hmm. and that despite being a replicant he is in fact still pretty human yeah because like the replicants aren't robots either i know you can even say that for joy like maybe she even developed a bit of a soul well and that that's we we were talking about that and how she kind of has some autonomy you know and it feels like she's her own person and you want to believe that she is and maybe maybe it's true Maybe, maybe she if is she her had own. more time, she could have become more human. I mean, she was already... Oh, God, I'm sorry. Already <laughs> fairly human. Um, an interesting point. But I mean, like, really human. <laughs> like, superhuman? Yeah. Um, okay, so another, another thing when I watched the first one uh, that you said you had a theory on that we were going to talk about is his TV at the very end. When he goes into his, into his apartment and there's some sort of symbol or something bouncing around on his tv okay so my theory doesn't have anything to do with the symbol okay but it's the fact that it keeps replaying the same symbol over and over again like it keeps scrolling back and forth same thing over and over again so my theory uh is that it represents an an endless loop of life life and death an endless loop of life and death so just that's deep you know that's what i think is it just and it probably doesn't mean anything, like, when the filmmakers probably are not. making it. But, like, I don't know. That's just the way that's I That's probably their version just... of white noise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like, I'm getting pretty deep into this. But, like, I don't know. It's just, like, it, you, it scrolls from the left to the right or whatever. And then it yeah. comes back. And there it is. Comes back. Comes back. And and I, I, I just saw it when we watched it. Because this will have been... Maybe the third full time I've watched through the original and the second full time I've watched through 2049. And when we got to that at the end of the first one, I saw that thing scrolling across Deckard's TV and I was like, what is it? I've never looked at that before. What does that mean? Does it have a meaning? Kind of looked like a tree twig. It, it did. So, but we were talking about how much detail mm-hmm. people put into making these films, like the, the backgrounds, the crowds, all of the, all of it has something so is that something where they were like, ah, just throw that in there to make you know it look what? like white I, noise? I think I think what probably happened was maybe it was like a subconscious thing. Maybe they're just like, you know what, just throw a throw a you know a TV in there, just replaying the same image back and forth, scrolling or whatever. And maybe just because they were so in the zone when they were making it, they're just maybe that's what it meant. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they're just for whatever way their minds are actually operating. He's just. Ridley Scott's just like, ah, throw that in there. Just, just chuck it in there. It'll look. Listening good. to his intuition and whatever, yeah. like he's just. I guess, it, I guess it happens. You're like, oh, that, yeah, that sounds. But and also, like, again, it, happy yeah. accidents or whatever. Yeah. Whether or not it was, I don't know. But. Well, and those TVs are relevant because that's where he scrolls through those photos and finds the mm. clue that he needs to progress in his mission. Right. Yeah, so yeah. The, it's not like those TVs didn't have a purpose. No, uh, no, they didn't. So unless yeah. the, unless it was maybe it was just leave him dark or put something on it, I don't know. But yeah, um, could have just been like you know this this is missing something. Throw a TV screen in there and just throw whatever on it. And whatever. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Could have been could have been the set the set decorator person that thought of that. You know who knows, right? It could be anything. It and, could and, and, be and without anything. having access, and I did some googling 
before we started recording to see if I could I, find I think, anything. I think we might be the first ones to talk about that TV. We, we, we might be. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't find literally anything. There was there was t- stuff about uh, what does the what does the unicorn mean at the end, all that kind of stuff. But there was yeah. no, uh, yeah. And and from what I hear, from what you were saying, there there's a few different endings to the movie. Yeah. Um, and this is the one that Ridley Scott felt was the most. I think this was the original ending. The or original like, written. I think so. And even just the way that like the sun was coming out, I can't remember how the first, the first one ended, like the first cut of the movie mm-hmm. or whatever, but I know it wasn't very good. No. Cause I saw it on, I think I saw all the endings on YouTube and I was like, yeah, that's the better ending. And it's the one that's in this cut, which is basically they, <clears throat> he finds her in a room and then they run away. And it's like, you get this idea that, you know, they let them go. I, I yeah. at least I felt like it felt like at the end, you know, they were like, you know, we know she's here. You know, we were in your apartment. We saw her sleeping on your bed. We know she's here. She's going to die eventually. Mm-hmm. Just fuck off and go hide in a corner somewhere and yeah. don't bother us, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then he he does and he disappears. And then they realize in the next one that they made mistakes and they have to hunt down his child and all kinds of crazy yeah. things. Um, so crazy. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, we talked about the scrolling TV. <laughs> I mean, we did. I think, I think that that about peaks the amount of stuff that I had to say, pretty much. Yeah, I think me too. I think that's uh, um, for the most part, like I didn't make a huge amount of notes, but I think I pretty much touched on everything and more than I mean I wanted to. I could ramble forever about these movies, you know, and all. Of the... I mean, you can get into the idea of them recycling the deceased too because the guy just goes and makes eyes what you know what true what does he make those eyes out of after roy dies no what's to say they don't just take his body pluck out all the all the stuff that they could use and then rebuild a new a new android or give someone else a new eye or something you know There, there there's so many layers and and the world is so complex you know and and I think that's what makes it so visceral. Like the real you know? world too. Yeah. Well, Very there's all there's all these and, stories yeah. that exist around the stuff that we're actually being told, and it's not that they're more interesting. It's just that I find they're equally as interesting, but we don't see them, and that gives the world this sort of feeling of reality where you don't know everything and you don't see everything, but you know that there's stuff there. And I also think it's maybe a dark enough look into the future where maybe humanity can go. Yeah, we don't want to go that direction. Maybe let's you know. Like, let's create that technology, but let's be, like, really careful with well, it. Well, isn't isn't that the point? Isn't that yeah. why people make movies? Isn't that why people make art? You know, I mean... I've and- never seen, I've never seen a, a you know, a, a futuristic movie that doesn't have some, some layer of, you know, corruption or, you know, uh, whatever in it, right? Even I, if it, even if it's really a a bright utopia, everybody's happy or they think they're happy, you know, like there's mm-hmm. always some level of, you know, corruption or, you know, whatever, or, you know, misuse. I mean, look at yeah. the show Black Mirror even, you know, that that shows so, um, every, you know, every episode is literally just a cautionary tale at the end of the day about what is what is technology and how should we use it and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, think, and that's what science fiction and science fantasy do. That's kind of what the genre is about in a lot of ways. Or you can argue that because it is, a lot of people are trying to get away from that. But yeah, either way, I, I think all this technology too in, in Blade Runner is, you know, at the start, it, all intentions were good. And then it became something people could buy. Yeah. You know, that's what I, that's what I think. think And then I I think as soon as you can buy something like that, that's when it's corrupted. 
Yeah. Potentially. Well, I, mean, I guess I guess back to your point depend, of like depending when on how it's, it's sexy, advertised, it becomes corrupted. Yeah, it becomes sexy. Yeah, and I, I guess it depends how it's advertised to people and how you make people feel about having that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a health benefit or is it like a cosmetic? You know, whatever, right? I, I think it all just depends on how you market it. There's a lot just to like these a movie. movies. There's a lot. There's a lot to these movies. More than we can certainly talk about in one of our episodes. I mean, we we had banked on not spending less than an hour on this, and and here we are at an hour and twenty seven minutes. Um, and that's okay because I think you know we, I think we needed that. I think we did, especially with Blade Runner. Yeah, it was two Blade Runner movies. Yeah, two two very long, very big, very deep, uh, explore explorative films that you know have a lot to them and. And you just got to watch them if you haven't. Spoiler alert. Um, you know, as always, we we don't really prevent spoilers in this podcast because otherwise we wouldn't be able to talk about anything. If you haven't seen Blade Runner by now, you know. <laughs> I mean, watch it. Yeah, watch it. Yeah, it's great. Um, you can find us on Twitter at uh, Cinematics Podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Minimal Tales, me on Instagram at uh, Dark Sales Films. Um, if you want to, you know, keep up to date on the things we do, uh, the episodes of our podcast, all that kind of stuff are all on there. And also the Instagram cinematics podcast, which yes. I need to get back on. You, you need to, you need to get back <laughs> on doing it. You Come know, on, I, man. I will. I Come will. on. Social, get on it. Social media isn't my, my fort. It's not your fort. No. You know what? That's it's what not, I, that's, it's, I actually heard that's the correct way to say it. It's not really? forte. It's fort. Uh, yeah. Apparently, I heard that from George Carlin. George Carlin. Oh not, well, not he person, knows. Not in person. Are but... you sure you didn't meet him? He didn't tell you I, that in I, person. No, it was a, it was a YouTube video. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> anyways, I don't know. Forte, um, fort, whatever. Whatever. It but is. I'll get better at it. I mean, I'm I I had to learn. It's it's a it's a beast that you have to learn. Yeah. And I'm still not very good. I'm usually at it, someone so. who sticks to the shadows. Hides. Lurking, lurking, waiting for the next opportunity. <laughs> you're the next. You're our. You're our Decker, Paul. You're our Decker. All right, let's do it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, bye, bye.